You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And welcome to the Drama Book Show. Welcome to the very first episode. Yes, the very first time we're doing this. I'm David Regano. I am Mark Eugene Garcia. And we're a couple of playwrights. Musical writers. Dramatists. And booksellers. At the Drama Book Shop. And we are excited to have this wonderful opportunity to talk about theater, which is something we love to do. And it's something that we get to do, even if people don't want us to. (laughs) Yeah. But luckily, we get to do that all day at the bookshop. People come in all the time, and they come to us to ask questions about plays that they might want to read. And and shows they want to see. Or put on. And we get to connect audiences with the works of great writers. And we've spun all of that into having authors come into the store to talk to audiences about theater and specifically about their work. And that's really exciting, because we even had some great authors who've stopped by from Broadway. Off-Broadway. Off-Off-Broadway and beyond, and they're able to share their words with a whole new audience. We don't want to drop any names. But names are heavy, David. (laughs) What we have also walked away with are some really good friends. Yeah. Something that the bookstore is known for, something we strive to be, is a community. It's a place where you can talk about theater, a place where you can experience theater, a place where you can meet theater makers, often behind the counters. Like us. Like the whole staff. So many of us are making theater. Our coworkers are incredible. Kind of like a cast. A cast of theater makers. Yeah. It's what makes working here so fun. Right? David, how long have we known each other? Uh, uh, We've known each other for 15 years, Mark. That is crazy that we met when we were five. Yes, yes. One of the benefits of working here is getting to work with you on a regular basis outside of our collaboration. Yeah, especially since we have these 15 years of theater insight between stuff that we've seen together, that we've worked on together, drama that was happening in the theater world while we were working together. And I think we've developed a great shorthand. Yeah. I think we've established a similarity in a way of thinking. Knowing that our first episode is about the Sondheim Encyclopedia and knowing how similar we are, I think now is a good time without any prompting to say our favorite Sondheim show into the microphone. Oh, dear. So ready? One, two... Okay, okay, I have to... Okay, before we go, I have to say this with one caveat. Um, I categorize mine. Of course you do. So I'll tell you the categories first. Um, I have my, like, all-around favorite show. Uh Uh-huh. My favorite just score. Uh Uh-huh. 
the one that I think is technically a perfect show, uh-huh. and then the masterpiece of all musical theater. But we'll start with our personal all-around favorite shows. And as I said, knowing how well we know each other, I expect that to be the same show. So okay. ready? One, two, Sweet. merrily we roll along. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> Merrily is not in my... Okay. Again, have I met a Sondheim show that I didn't like? No. Uh, it's just not in the four that I've categorized. But my four are, again, my all-around favorite show is Sunday. Mm-hmm. My favorite score, just looking at the music, is Passion. Yes. Uh, the show that I think is technically perfect is A Little Night Music. Yeah. Uh, and then the masterpiece of all musical theater is obviously Sweeney Todd. True, 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 true. I don't think I've categorized mine as uh, much. I just had to. Of course you have. <laughs> All right, so for me, mine has got to be Merrily We Roll Along. And a lot of it's because it's a show I feel that you appreciate more with age. Oh, yeah. I think that when I first listened to it, I loved the last two scenes. (laughs) And then as I started to like it more and more as I got older, and now I'm a bitter old man and I like the whole show. (laughs) And I think my second has got to be Into the Woods. And it's a more personal choice because it did change my life. Uh Up until I saw that show in high school, I hated musicals. No. Yeah. I thought they had no place in the world. Then in high school, I saw this show that completely upended what musicals were to me. That is also the show that got me into musicals. uh, But I was like five at the time. I hate you, David. (laughs) I think for a lot of people in our age bracket, Uh that was the show that got them into musicals. Yes, I think so too. But you, of course have another special experience with Into the Woods. That's right. And oh my God, they came up so naturally without any prompting. (laughs) I did. I got to do a reality show, Encore, and where I came back to my old high school and re-performed Into the Woods with my classmates 20 years later. And like before, it changed my life. And Kristen Bell was there. Oh, names are heavy, Mark. That's right. (laughs) But I guess what I'm trying to say is we each have a past with Sondheim's work. Yes, and I love it. And it's changed us. And we were lucky enough to get a chance to really delve into everything Sondheim. And what better way to talk about Sondheim than through an encyclopedia? And with the founder of a website called Everything Sondheim. Wow. Yeah, what a seamless transition, right? (laughs) Uh, So Rick Pender, the author of the Sondheim Encyclopedia, came to do an event here at Drama Bookshop, and I got to speak with him. Uh, Rick is an esteemed arts critic, editor, and mentor from Southwest Ohio, with contributions to City Beat and the Sondheim Review, which he edited from 2004 to 2016, recognition from the Society of Professional Journalists and the American Theater Critics Association, and his initiative, as I mentioned, everythingsondheim.org, Rick's expertise in the theater world is unmatched. He came to do an awesome event here, and let's listen to that interview. Let's do it. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chumbacasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So why don't we just start off here a little bit about your background, your background in the theater and your background with our, our illustrious leader. With that Steve. guy? That guy, Stephen Conner. Sure. <laughs> sure. When I tell my story, sometimes I... Start at the very beginning, you know, as uh, Oscar. Julie Andrews always told me that's a very good place to start. But uh, (laughs) I was a freshman in high school. The very first LP that I ever acquired was the movie soundtrack for West Side Story. I didn't know who any of those people were who created it. I just knew that I really liked the music. And then as time went on, I learned that this young guy wrote all those words. And as I saw more, uh, more musical theater discovered, uh, you know, how, just how much he had done. So at age 13, and I'm 74 now, so it's been a long time that I've had some connections with that, but it was uh, really there where it began. In the 70s, I saw productions of Company and of Follies and some of those, not not on Broadway. I lived in Ohio, and these were college productions or community theater productions, that sort of thing. But they were they were wonderful. I saw a little night music just about two years after it came out in a sort of a semi-professional production. So I kept following along, but didn't really know so much about it. And then I had to have some surgery around the time of my 40th birthday, and I was going to be in bed for a while. And I went to the library and got a couple of uh, CDs, including one that was a three-CD set of Sondheim material. I listened to that over and over again, and I was really captivated by the words. I'm not a musical person, per se. I am uh, much more about the words and that was really what drew me to the, the cleverness of the writing and that sort of thing. But listening to all of those, I was hearing stuff from shows that I knew had been around way before I was paying attention. So that really drew me to it. And then in the 90s, I was in Chicago to see a show at the Goodman Theater. And in their gift shop, I saw a copy of this magazine called The Sondheim Review. I thought, holy mackerel, all magazine about this guy? And so I bought a copy of it and subscribed to it. And then in uh, 1996, I believe it was, the Cincinnati Playhouse did a wonderful production of Sweeney Todd. Pamela Myers from Company played Mrs. Lovett in that production and was quite wonderful to, to see. And I wrote to the then editor of the magazine and said, would you like me to review this? And he said, sure, I'd love to have a review of that. So I did that. One thing led to another. I started being a more regular contributor. He retired. He'd done it for 10 years by 2004, and I was asked to become the editor. Then I had some regular contact with with Mr. Sondheim. You told me a fun little story. Sure, sure. Um, So it would have been probably 2004. I was working at a weekly paper in Cincinnati where I was the arts editor. We were always on deadline on Wednesdays, getting the paper ready to, ready to go out. I had started working on the magazine more seriously at that point, and I had sent off a request to Sondheim for some permission to reprint something. So here it is, Wednesday deadline, my phone rings. Usually I didn't answer the phone on Wednesdays because I was busy doing things, but I picked it up. Hello, Rick. Uh, it's Steve. And then he paused for a moment and he said, Steve Sondheim. And I thought, 
holy shit. Like, <laughs> I can't believe that Stephen Sondheim is calling me. But we did. We had a nice little quick conversation. He very readily gave me the permission. That was sort of how we first connected. And I will tell you that from that point on, I could ask him questions and get responses very quickly. He was very grateful for the existence of that magazine. It doesn't mean that he didn't read every word in it and tell me if there were a few of them that he didn't agree with. <laughs> uh, but we, we had really easy, easy connection. Uh, once the, mag the magazine stopped publishing in 2016, shortly after that, I was asked to pursue putting this book together. I said, at first I thought they were asking me to be the editor of an encyclopedia at which I would coordinate the work of a bunch of writers no, they didn't have any, they didn't have the right they didn't have any budget for that. They had budget to pay me to write a book and wanted me to generate six hundred thousand words about Stephen Sondheim. And I said, Well, okay, I'll give that a try. But I, I reached out to Sondheim and said, I'm gonna be doing this. I hope that I can rely on you periodically with questions and that sort of thing. And he said, Of course. And I can't think of a time when I sent him mostly requests by email. Uh, with a question to clarify something, uh, if he was at home here in New York or at his place in Connecticut or even in London, within 24 hours, I'd have a response from him. It, it, was, a, it was a good relationship. I also, the, the Cincinnati Playhouse did several productions of his work. He came to Cincinnati on a couple of occasions, and I did radio interviews with him for our, our local NPR station. He was always very generous with his time around that, and so we had a little bit more of a personal relationship. I can't say like we were you know, fast friends or anything, but he was very responsive to me, and I really I had appreciated his willingness to do that. Why a Stephen Sondheim encyclopedia? What about this man's life and work? A lot of people have said, there was a magazine about him. You know, I, I, I put out a magazine four times a year about this guy. Well, we were never, never had any shortage of material for the magazine. I had edited it for about half of its existence. I had copies of all of the prior issues before my time as, as the uh, editor. I had a large compendium of material mm -hmm. that I could draw upon, and I thought, well, shoot, if there's that much material, I can certainly you know, find ways to shape that into this. But the way I approached it was that I, first and foremost, I really wanted to give pretty thorough treatment to the 18 musicals that he wrote over time, mostly as the composer and lyricist, a few early in his career, West Side Story and Gypsy, for which he wrote the lyrics, not the music, but he was uh, chopping at the bit to really get to do both both sides of that, that equation. But to really get to work and, and provide profiles of the, all of those shows. So the book has synopsis of every show, stories about their development, about the actors who were in them, and that sort of thing. And then, as as one begins to dig into Sondheim, you find that there are other players. He didn't do this all by himself. He had collaborators who wrote the books for all of the shows, uh, many of whom he worked with on multiple shows, directors who he worked with, producers who he worked with, and stars who he worked with. And so all of those people became part of uh, who I wanted to cover in the book. I also, of course, wanted to tell some things about him and his life and his uh, 
predilections, some of which are interesting. He had strong opinions about many things, and I wanted to share some of that sort of thing also. So those were all went into it. Altogether, uh, I think the book has about 130 entries uh, that I wrote, some of which are like the one that's his biography is very long. Yeah. And then there's, I have one about his choice of pencils, which he had uh, very strong opinions about pencils that he used when he was writing Black Wings. Black Wing number. Yeah, so I tried to, you know, he also liked those pencils because they had a square eraser on the back of them. And when you laid them down on a writing table that was slanted, they wouldn't roll off. That kind of mm, (laughs) specific, God is in the details. And I know that one of his strong opinions was about his collaborators getting the credit. I remember maybe in the early 2000s, a letter to the editor uh, in the New York Times had, had referenced something as Stephen Sondheim's specific overtures or was going on at the time. And there was a letter to, to the editor saying, you you credited this show in your article as Stephen Sondheim's specific overtures. And it is Stephen Sondheim and John Weidman's specific overtures. You cannot discredit the contribution of the book writer from Stephen Sondheim had written yeah. this letter to say, don't forget about the other person who wrote it. To tell, there are a few of the shows that were ideas that he came up with, but by no means the majority. Many of them were things that came to him through a book writer who had ideas that they would collaborate on. The shows that, that he were mostly of his own creation or that he played a significant part in, Funny thing happened on the way to the forum. He played a big hand in creating that. Passion was one that he wrote. Uh, Sweeney Todd was one that he saw a production of a play of Sweeney Todd in London. <laughs> he thought that would be a great show to turn into a musical. He was right. But he thought at first that he would write the book for it. And he said he got through what he thought would be the first act, and that was going to be about four hours long. <laughs> and so he said, that's not going to work. So at that point, they brought in uh, another collaborator to work with them on that. Talk a little bit about how you decided to structure the encyclopedia. At the simplest level, it is an A to Z. It's an A to Y. I didn't have a Z uh, item in it, but but almost every other letter. So it goes through just like a dictionary or an encyclopedia. The items go from, from A to Z. Initially, I wrote the lengthier pieces about each show and mm-hmm. pulled together information about those and then began to sort how many people I should cover designers, actors, directors, all of those sorts of things. It took me about 18 months to put the whole thing together. I had spent some time in advance in Washington, D.C. at the Library of Congress. Uh, Someone who had been very helpful to me with the magazine, Manning Mark Horowitz, who's at the Library of Congress and is extremely knowledgeable about musical theater in general, and in fact will be the curator of all of Sondheim's papers when they get donated to the Library of Congress. I had gone to see him, and he had a whole lot of material, not not original archival material, but he had been collecting what he called scrapbooks, reprints of reviews and articles and interviews and that sort of thing. And I went home from Washington to Cincinnati with about five cartons of ring binders of material like that that I could draw upon. So that was tremendously helpful. I should also mention that I included in the encyclopedia 
10 pieces that Mark was really the original author of. Uh, he wrote a series of pieces for the magazine called Biography of a Song. And he would take one Sondheim song and analyze it in incredible detail. When he first proposed to me that he was going to do this, he said, oh, it'll be 1,500 or 2,000 words. He never wrote anything that was that brief. Most of the pieces were five to 7,000 words. He would talk about the lyric writing. He would talk about the, the music theory behind the composition. He would talk about the story of the show and who collaborated on it. Uh, and then he also would in depth go into information about uh, various recordings of that particular song. I did not feel that these pieces that were five to 7,000 words were really an appropriate length for an item <laughs> in an encyclopedia. So I boiled them down to about 1,500 words that I thought were really what someone picking up a book like this would be interested in reading. So I didn't go into some of the gory details, but enough to really give people a sense of, of Mark's great sky. And I give Mark credit for all of these. So there are 10 of those that are that are included in the book. He has a fantastic book, Sometime on Music. Right? Yes, yes. That book is a transcription of a lot of interviews yeah. that he did with Sondheim. Uh, and uh, really fascinating. I mean, he he really he worked so closely with Sondheim that Sondheim gave him a lot of original materials, the writing of lyrics and, and yeah. composition and that sort of thing. And Mark could really dig in and say, "Now, why did you why did you choose this particular you know rhythm for this this song and that sort of thing?" So yeah, it's a Every fascinating book. Minor detail and major decision, which That's is right. the subtitle That's of the right. book. And if any of you are aspiring composers and you want to give yourself a really good reason to quit and never write a note again, read this. Read this book. You will feel so inadequate. <laughs> um, uh, can I? I here's, a, here's the other book that you should, if you ever think about doing that, is that Sondheim did two books of lyric studies. The first one was called Finishing the Hat. The second one was called Look, I Made a Hat. And I'm pretty sure it's on the bookcase here. They're right behind me somewhere. There you go. Uh, those two books, uh, they came out in 2010 and 2011. And they are in-depth recountings of every show and every song and takes you through step by step. He includes songs that were written that were abandoned. You know, a lot of the shows, as they worked on them, there was material that... Uh, well, they thought it was a good idea, but then no things changed, or an actor changed, and they needed to do something different with what that that actor's vocal skills were, or whatever. He includes all of that sort of thing. Does anyone have any questions about the encyclopedia, about the creation of it, about the history of this fantastic great man? Yeah, uh, I'm interested in what how much stuff there might be that we never had a chance to see. I noticed in your book you said that he, he and um, Anthony Perkins wrote a couple of screenplays that were never produced. Uh, are we ever going to see any of that? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't have access to that kind of material, but in, I mean, I, I, you know, there is uh, quite a bit of information about Anthony Perkins in the book. I talk about some of those things that they did work on together, but I, I didn't have access to dig into those in, in more depth. This is really meant to be, as much as anything, a reference volume for people who might be involved in producing the Sondheim show, directing it or acting in it, who wanted to read it and learn more about it. Because there's a new biography out by uh, 
Stephen Silverman about Sondheim that goes into a lot more depth uh, than I could. And Meryl Seacrest did the, the big biography that came out in the late 90s that really took his life up to, up to that point. There's fascinating detail about many of those, those kinds of things. Yes. Uh, you mentioned that Kate was going to go to Mr. Horowitz at some point. Do you know more about that pro progress? That that is apparently what's happening. The estate is as well as as best I can understand at this point. They're still processing the estate, but I'm sure that there will be more that will will come out eventually, and probably some of it could be you know some of that kind of. Uh, Kind of material like scripts for things he does in the in the the two the two lyric studies he does write about things that never never materialized shows that were never produced and so there is stuff in that collection and I do I have a, a, an entry in this that talks about most of the uh, shows that were that were not we went unproduced uh, were unfinished in one way or another. So there is a way to find out that those kinds of things exist. Yes, uh, were you able to have any conversations with Steve about here we are? <laughs> not exactly. This is the the musical that he was working on at the time of his death. Uh, and it working with David Ives, playwright Venus and Fur. Some of you might know that 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 play. They were working on this this show that uh, is based on two films by Luis Buñuel, very avant-garde filmmaker. These films were made in the fifties and the sixties. Promised to be a very strange work, and really one of the last conversations that I had with him, I asked him, "Where are you in this?" And he said, "Oh, we're not working on it anymore." said, okay, I was really going to press him about it. And then I heard that work had picked up on it again. Frank Rich wrote a very interesting piece that appeared online in Vulture that some of you might have read recently about here we are coming together. And it's Ives and uh, uh, the director. Joe Mantello. Yeah, yeah, Joe Mantello. In conversations with them and Rich interviewing them. So what I learned from some things that Ives had to say was that they were sort of on again, off again. They worked on it for a while. They weren't. He, he was having sometimes was having a hard time coming up with songs for the second act, and so they kind of stopped and then they decided again. And, and apparently, for again from what I've read, the show has songs. He has songs in the first act. There is some music in the second act, but not very much. Mm -hmm. So I, beyond that, I no, I, I didn't have a lot of conversation with him about it. I will tell you, though, I was interested to read that article that Frank Rich wrote, because he talked about how Ives and Sondheim had previously been working on a show that was an idea that Sondheim had, and it was a show called All Together Now. And I knew about this because he had approached several book writers about this idea that he had. And we published an article in the magazine, sort of in, in about 2010, I think. He called me and asked me, this article that we published, a, a scholar at the University of Texas pulled some archives from the playwright Terrence McNally, who was someone that I've been talked with about this. And he wrote an article based on that. And Sondheim called me up, quite irritated about the publication of this piece, 
to tell me that, that he was concerned that his reputation was going to be sullied by this because it would sound like he'd stolen this idea from parents. Which I, the article didn't say anything to that effect. Um, he actually called me up on New Year's Eve about this, and I believe that he'd probably started celebrating for New Year's Eve a little bit earlier. So he was pretty wound up about things and told me that I had uh, effed up his next production, which I thought, oh my God, my life is over. But I never heard anything more from him about that, and that show never materialized. But it was interesting to read in this article that, that Sondheim and Ives had eventually worked uh -huh. on it and abandoned it to go to work on Here We Are. So that's sort of a preface to any insights that I, that I have about it. But uh, that was one of every once in a while. When, when I was trying to create a website after the magazine stopped publication, I tried to create a website called Everything Sondheim, and our intention with that was to uh, able to publish some timely coverage shows when they were happening. And he called me up and told me that he thought that was a horrible idea and he didn't want to have current reviews. He had a rather low esteem for theater critics and he uh, did not see that there was any value in publishing reviews of things that might affect tickets being sold for a production. And I said, well, that certainly was not our intention to do anything like that. But he said, well, I, don't, I really don't care what your intentions are. If you're going to do that, you can count me out. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And I, I decided that maybe I should agree that we would only publish <laughs> other kinds of articles, which we did. And there was plenty of other things to write about. And we wrote about many productions after the fact. There are so many iterations of Sondheim shows that writing about a new or different production, I mean, think about Sweeney Todd, how many different ways it has been staged. So writing something new about it, even after the fact, gives people a lot to uh, to learn about. So we did some of that. The, we, the, the website lasted for about two years. We put out a couple of print issues, but didn't generate quite enough revenue to keep it, keep it going. But that was sort of the interval between magazine stopping and me getting asked mm -hmm. to, to do the book. So going from the purely academic yes. and fact-based to some opinion-based, what in your estimation would you say, and I'm, I'm very interested to hear what the answer is and to hear the reaction to the answer. What would you say, in your estimation, is the most misunderstood Sondheim show and the most underrated Sondheim show, and whether or not that's the same show? No, it's not the same show. Um, in terms of misunderstood, I think it's probably Assassins. An awful lot of people just at first glance say, a musical about people who shot the president. You know how we, you know why would anybody want to see that? Well, it's actually quite an interesting musical. It it really digs into issues around the American dream and how people sort of go off kilter around that and you know think that somehow by shooting the president they're going to make a difference in the world. So it's a very interesting piece. It's also a very interesting show musically because he ties the music that is pertinent to each of the assassins to music that was appropriate in that period. So the John Wilkes Booth music sounds like music if you saw Ken Burns about the Civil War. That kind of music is sort of the way that the Ballad of Booth is played. And then we get up to Squeaky From and... Uh, 
Oh, now it's gone out of... I've played that role in a reading. Hinkley, <laughs> thank you. So do we have a song between them that is very much like uh, sort of a 60s, 70s folk song that I think really makes that an interesting show, both from the uh, creational perspective and also from the stories. I mean, there's a couple of... Charles Guiteau, who's not an assassin that most people know very much about, who was the assassin Garfield, he was quite an interesting character and is played pretty realistically to the odd man that Charles Guiteau was. So I think... That one, I think, is often misunderstood. I think that I can agree on that. Yeah. I, was, I was like, well, I'm going to ask these questions, and I don't... These are the divisive ones. And so, underrated, what would you say? Underrated. That's, that's really even more opinion, I guess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Pacific Overtures, which I think is a wonderful show, but it is, even by Sondheim's standards, a very unusual show. Uh-huh. And it's rather seldom produced, and it's... Uh, material that to many audiences feels rather foreign because it is it's set in japan in the 19th century so i think that it is underappreciated for those reasons not because it's not worth worthy of appreciation uh-huh. but i think that a lot of people have not discovered it as much as uh-huh. many of the others we discussed upstairs and i said i don't want i don't want to ask you i want to find out if that's part of the event and i said i think that i want to turn this question on our audience members as well. Um, so I figure, uh, and rather than have everyone shout out, like I would just ask a show of hands, I'm gonna call out some that I think tend to be on the lesser appreciated side. And if you wanna raise your hand and say, oh, I think this is the most underappreciated, underrated. So if I said passion, okay, there we go. We got two for passion. If I said road show, we got one, okay, we got a few for, if I said do I hear a waltz? Okay, I was about to say, everyone here thinks, do I hear a waltz is perfectly rated, right? Okay, we've got a few. And one that I think has a reputation for being underappreciated, but has turned into one of the most popular, Merrily We Roll Along. I think that one might be a favorite. I don't know that I would call it underappreciated because I think that it's become very, very, very popular. It's, it's, right taken, a, it's taken a while to become uh-huh. appreciated. Yeah. But I think it certainly is and, and will continue to, to be. We mentioned Do I Hear a Waltz. For some of you who might be a little less familiar, it's a show that it's the, the only show sort of later in his career when he went back to writing only lyrics. And he did it with Richard Rogers, as in Rogers and Hammerstein. Hammerstein had passed away and sort of uh, was a mentor to Sondheim. He talked to, to Steve as he was in his final days and said, you know, if you ever get the chance to work with Dick Rogers, I, I hope that you might do that. Steve was also good friends with Mary Rogers, Richard Rogers' daughter, and she sort of encouraged him to do it. And it was also that anyone can whistle had just flopped, right? That's right. That's right. And I think that um, he and Arthur Lawrence both worked on the flop and then moved to this one. It was just an unhappy experience for everyone involved. Rogers was aging and seemed to be worried about his own creativity. And he had these other fellows around him, Sondheim and Arthur Lawrence, who uh, were full of creativity and energy. Nothing went very well about it. Sondheim pretty much said it's a show that he wished that he'd never worked on. Mm -hmm. I will say for anyone who hasn't listened to it, and for Dick Rogers thinking he had no more tunes left in him, the opening number is Someone Woke Up is is just, I think, like the best melding of everything that we love about Stephen Sondheim and everything that we love about the 
melodic nature of Richard Rodgers and is one of the best opening numbers of anything ever written, even for a flop like two I hear really, the, the music for the whole show is quite good. Gorgeous. The story of it is doesn't really work very well, but it's a great score. That's not the first time that's been said about a student on that show. We've got another question. And also, what's curious is that in one of the songs in Do I Hear a Waltz, it's called Here We Are Again. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That's, oh, that's very full circle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't speak to that. I, I, I will say that, so the movies that Here We Are is based on, all right, one, one is called The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, and then the second is called Exterminating Angel. So the first act is based on the bourgeoisie, and it's about a group of people who are trying to decide where to go to have dinner. I don't know too much more about it than that. But the second act is about them at dinner, and they're not very happy being there, and they can't leave the room where they're having dinner, for whatever reason, I don't know. That here we are means that they found dinner, or they found a place to have dinner, and here they are, and they're stuck there, which doesn't have much of anything to do with do I hear a wall. So right. It may be just coincidence. When you wrote as many songs as Sondheim did, there was likely to be occasionally maybe some overlap there. Although he did write a song called I Never Do Anything Twice, which uh -huh. some of you might know. That's about a wholly different subject, but it's a, it's a great line that somebody could have put on his tombstone because no one of his shows is like any other show of his. He said, why would I want to do another one like Sweeney Todd or another one like Into the Woods? I've already done that. I want to do something new, something that challenges me. People have asked him on various occasions what he thought his legacy would be. And he always sort of shrugged and said, I don't know, I'm going to be dead. You know, I don't really care about my legacy. But, I mean, he certainly has a legacy. Mm -hmm. I mean, the other thing that I like to talk about is how he, he very carefully monitored when new productions were being made of his shows, especially if they decided to do something different. He wanted to know about it and approve about it. Company is the, the easiest example of this. Most recently, we had the one where the, the role of Bobby, who was originally a man, was a woman this time around. But Marianne Elliott, who directed that production, came to him with this idea, and he liked it. Now, back in the past, several people had come to him wanting to do a production in which Bobby would be portrayed as being gay, and that that was some of his reasons for his uh, uncertain relationships with women. Sondheim said, that was not our idea at all. That's ridiculous. Don't do that. He would shut things down if he felt that they were not being appropriate. You think about the uh, productions that John Doyle did of several shows with the actor-musician concept, the Sweeney Todd back in 2006 is, is an example of that. Doyle collapsed the music considerably. They were much shorter than the original productions were. They were very interesting interpretations, and Sondheim loved them. He loved this new interpretation of his work. So, you know, I think that we're going to go on seeing Sondheim shows for years and years and years. You know, not just because he's not among us, he's still he's still there. His presence will be felt for all of our lifetimes, I believe. Was there anything that you were hoping to include that somehow the, the information or the, the, the text or the content just wasn't really there? 
because of the timing of this, uh, when I wrote his biography, um, I had not initially included information about his his marriage to, to Jeff Romley. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happened in 2017. It was not commonly known while while I was doing the text on this. So we did a few tweaks of the content. Mm-hmm. I was able to include some of that. Also talk about his passing, which of course uh-huh. happened well after the original one came out. No, I can't say that there was anything else beyond that. I'm, I had 600,000 words yeah. to write, so there wasn't really a whole lot that I you know, had to leave out. So, What was Jeff's role, in, if any, in, uh, in helping with this book? Uh, I had no contact with him. Okay. When I was doing the website, I was trying to come up with a name for the website, the one that, that I had originally proposed was simply Sondheim, because we were going to be focused on Sondheim. Sondheim didn't like that. He said, people are going to think that it's like, it's simple. So then he said to me, Jeff suggested everything Sondheim. And I said, that's brilliant. Let's do that. <laughs> and so then it was fine. So that was, but I've never actually had any direct personal uh-huh. conversation. I've I've worked with uh, Steve Clark and another fellow who was the uh, Peter Jones, who was his archivist, uh, who helped me with a lot of the photography for the book and that sort of thing. So I had more contact with with those folks and with Sondheim himself, but not with Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other? We got some time for a few more. Yeah. Uh, could you talk about his relationship with uh, Hugh Wheeler? I, I'm a big Hugh Wheeler fan from his mysteries and stuff. And it seems to me that those plays were very well constructed compared to, say, some of the other plays, which have their charm, but they're not, they're not constructed as solid as the Wheeler does. So Hugh Wheeler uh, wrote the book for uh, Sweeney Todd and also for A Little Night Music. Those are very well constructed plays, the, the the narratives themselves really hang together well, and I think Sondheim very much appreciated. I mean, it was Wheeler who he brought on after he tried to develop the, the, the book for Sweeney Todd, and I think that he was very grateful for the way that Wheeler came in and found ways to tell the essential story concisely and make it, make it work. And then uh, with Night Music, they worked together from the get-go on, on that. I think it was Pacific Overtures, that there were some issues with with Weidman's initial text for it, and that Wheeler was brought in and offered some secondary thoughts that were never used. And Weidman's nose was a little out of joint over that happening, as this to be understandable. But you know they gave it a shot and it didn't work. So, but I think Sondheim had a great deal of respect for him. The librettist who Sondheim gives a significant credit to uh, is James Lapine who really, after the the failure of Merrily We Roll Along, you know, Sondheim really was so dismayed over the the misfortune of that production that he all but thought, well, maybe I'm not going to do musical theater anymore. We're glad he got over that. But but Lapine, you know, brought, brought him a new set of ideas and approaches to things with Sunday in the Park with George. And that is such a beautiful production, an expression of, of artistic nature. And then they went on and did Into the Woods and Passion. And, passion. and he says in the lyric studies that, you know, really it was, that was a turning point in his life, that the, the shows that he did with Lapine really dug more deeply into a lot of, of Sondheim's own emotions and psyche. So, 
And the, fir the first lyrics book goes right up through Merrily. Right. And it's really fantastic. Like, if it leaves you on a cliffhanger, the last line of the first book is, and then I met James Lapine. Yeah. And then the second book picks up right. with Sunday. And if you've not read James Lapine's book on the creation of Sunday, the Parkland Church, that is here to highly, highly recommend. An excellent book. It's very uh, fascinating, both telling that story, but also all the pieces of how a musical comes together. Mm -hmm. It's really a fascinating book and very well written. And uh, it also includes the complete text of the show part of it. But a lot of it is uh, for background of working with some of the act. Mandy Patinkin was uh, a little bit of a head case uh, working on that show. There's some real interesting things about how he had to be brought back to earth more than uh -huh. one side thing. So. But I know that after the failure of Merrily, he said he was going to quit quit musical theater and write murder mysteries. And we are so glad that he didn't quit musical theater, but goodness, what murder mysteries we might have had. Do you know if any of those might be in, in some of those papers that are going to Mark Horowitz? Any I'm, drafts? I'm not aware of that. I mean, you know, he did he did uh, do the uh, the movie. Last of Sheila. Right, The Last of Sheila, which was a, a little hard to get through, but, but some people have enjoyed it very much. He had a ball doing it, uh -huh. I think. And... Uh, yeah, I think that he could very well have... And uh, we have uh, Getting Away with Murder on our yes. shelf here as well, which he wrote with George Firth. With George Firth, who wrote the book for, for Company and for Merrily. So, yeah, there he did work out, you know, some of those those kinds of things. But uh, I, I think at one point, um, Herbert Ross tried to talk him into doing another film, screenplay or something like that, and sometimes said, you know, I love those kind of things, but I, I want to stay focused you briefly mentioned that he was not too keen on worrying about his legacy. What what would you say is the legacy? Some of his legacy is just how he mentored other creators of musical theater. I mean, he was so open and generous with his advice and feedback. Lin-Manuel Miranda mm -hmm. talks about Sondheim telling him what a brilliant idea it was to create musical about Alexander Hamilton and encourage that all along the way. But there are numerous examples. In fact, in the magazine, we had a an ongoing series that was, we called it Following Sondheim, and it was musical theater creators who talked about the impact that Sondheim had had on them in one way or another, literally mentoring them or interacting with them or just inspiring them, whatever. But also, I think that Sondheim in a bigger picture, he is really the single catalyst for making musical theater something that can be every bit as serious as drama. His musicals really dig into uh, humanity and psyche of people because he created music, both, both the music and the words that really reveal character and, and move stories along. That set a model that is, I think, so important and that we're seeing in all kinds of things today. His influence is there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is another piece of his legacy. And the shows themselves, of course, yeah. are a tremendous legacy. And we will be, you know, the, the canon of, I mean, his, his canon is not as extensive as Shakespeare, but it's uh, every bit as momentous in <laughs> yeah. many ways. I think that, you know, there will be uh, theater companies uh, on into the future. You know, there is a a theater company 
in uh, in Arlington, Virginia, that uh, has produced almost all of his shows. I think there will be other theaters that undertake mm -hmm. to sort of do the canon, like some of the Shakespeare companies try to work their way through all of Shakespeare's works. And I think that that, that wouldn't be a surprise to me at all that theaters will try to take that on. So that's another form of... Uh, of legacy. And then I guess the final thing that I would say is that Sondheim, all of this, I think, goes back in part to his mentoring by Oscar Hammerstein, who taught him so much about what you have to do to make musical theater work. Mm -hmm. And Sondheim himself became a teacher, literally and metaphorically, that his inspiration, I think, will will last for years and years of people who are creating musical theater. So that, to me, is uh, all of those come together. That's why why he's an important figure. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. That was incredible. That was so much fun. That really was an informative interview, and it's really nice to learn everything Sondheim. And from the expert. The expert. And the audience was all in. Oh, yeah. We've had great crowds at our events. We really have. And it fits in with our goal that this is the place to come and have intelligent conversations about theater. Yeah. So if you, dear listener, if you want to come and be in one of our great crowds, then join us. We do events every Tuesday. <laughs> Sometimes more. Yeah, we are scheduled through almost June. We've got a lot of events coming up. So you can follow us on social media at Drama Bookshop. Or you can follow us on our event page on Eventbrite. And if you subscribe there, you'll always know when we have an event coming up. So we're looking forward to seeing you soon. And we will see you at the bookshop. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.